there was a kind of madness in the air in Egypt in that day. Shifra and Puha, they were living in insane times. Our time isn't quite like that, but it is a strange time for us to be living in, and it's one of the most challenging times that many of us have ever known. I don't say that to be dramatic, but just to acknowledge all that we are currently facing as individuals and as families, and all that we're facing as a nation, and all that we're facing globally as part of the human family. I mean, even before 2020, we had some pretty significant challenges, challenges that, that we haven't been able to seem to really reckon with as a human family. On that global scale, we've been unable to really address what many are calling the greatest existential threat of humanity. We've known climate change. We keep marching right up towards that date where the damage to our planet is going to be irreversible, and most of us normal, everyday people feel pretty powerless to do anything significant about it. While those in power globally, they don't seem to really have the will to make the meaningful, necessary changes. And with that, we also have the rise of global migration, right? People across the globe are fleeing their homelands. They're fleeing from droughts. They're fleeing from fires. They're fleeing from wars, from hopelessness and uncertainty. While the nations of our globe, all of us seem unsure how to handle all those that are showing up at our front door. And, and we keep fumbling the ball with that one. And so as a result, we've been devastated, haven't we, to see bodies wash up on the Mediterranean shore and, and devastated to see children locked up in cages on our own borders. All of us have been devastated by that. Our global challenges as a human family are enormous, aren't they? And of course, all that was before 2020 brought us a pandemic and mass unemployment and profound hardships for so many. It was just five months ago that our entire nation, in fact, most of the globe, started shutting down. And ever since then, our futures and our lives have had a kind of underlying uncertainty to them. We just don't know what's coming. Every aspect of our life feels uncertain. And at the same time, leaders of Every organization of businesses, churches, schools, communities, nations, all leaders are just struggling to know how to best respond to this. And not to overwhelm you, but the numbers that have started to come out of this aren't pretty. I was doing some research at the beginning of this week around this, and as I looked at those numbers, I started to realize that in the U.S. alone, we now have more deaths from COVID-19 than we did from World War I. In fact, we have 50% more deaths from COVID-19 than we did from World War I. That's staggering. Or to put it in another way, if you add up all of the U.S. deaths from the Korean War and the Vietnam War and the Persian Gulf War, and the war in Afghanistan, and then the war in Iraq, and what happened on 9-11. If you add up all of the U.S. deaths from all of those wars and tragedies, you're only at 
two-thirds the number of people in the U.S. who have died from COVID-19 in the last five months. Only at two-thirds. I mean, this pandemic has taken significantly more of us than all of those tragedies. And now, now we're going back to school. (laughs) That's what time of year it is. Now, if you're at least one step removed from the school dynamics that are going on in our own community and in every community across our country, you might not realize quite how overwhelming this moment is. I mean, school district administrators, they've been working these massive amounts of overtime every week since early March as they're trying to make decisions that will affect the lives of families and children in their area. And the pressure and the madness that they have been under has been nonstop every week. And teachers, oh my goodness, you cannot imagine the kind of stress that teachers are under right now and in this year. All of them are having to figure out how to reinvent the very way they teach. Many are having to teach online and in person at the very same time. Their classrooms have been stripped down. They're now having to be told to teach completely different than the way they were taught to teach before by interacting one-on-one with students in their classrooms. And, and, And what is being asked of them is now not only teacher and social worker, but now they're having to take on roles such as health expert and janitor as they clean every surface constantly all day while they're managing kids. And oh, by the way, they also have to put their own health and their family's health on the line. Many of them don't have the kind of supplies that they would need to really protect themselves, all while they are working in classrooms that don't have enough space for real social distancing. And many of them at the very same time are making such profoundly low salaries, they can barely pay their bills. They can't even support their families hardly on their salary. In fact, one teacher I know, a very seasoned teacher, um, just had their first day of back-to-school training this week. And, and he's been teaching now for 20 years. I mean, he's very seasoned, full-time in the classroom for 20 years. And for probably about half of that time, he, he's also been teaching online classes on the side as, a, as an additional job to make a little money during the school year, as well as online classes all summer long. So all that to say, this teacher knows his stuff. He's very experienced. But after one day of hearing everything that was going to be expected of them and all that they had to manage, he was shell-shocked, even though he knew it was coming. This is going to be the hardest year by far teachers have ever had, he said. And then he asked, what other job do you have to train to deal with infectious diseases in the morning and then run down the hall wearing a mask, practicing active shooter drills in the afternoon? (laughs) Sounds more like they were signing up to serve in the military than to teach in a high school. But this is what our teachers are dealing with right now this very week. And then, of course, there's all of us families, right, with young kids at home doing full-time school at home while their one parent or their two parents both also have full-time jobs. Many parents, they're overwhelmed by 
trying to be employee and parent and teacher all at the very same time. And Jesse and I, we're the lucky ones. I mean, we, we can at least work from home and our employers are pretty understanding and it's still really hard. But then there's those parents who cannot work from home and the stress of what they have to manage and the uncertainty that their children will be facing by themselves or with strangers. It's about ready to push them off the cliff. Now, I, I say all that not to overwhelm you or to be dramatic, but to simply tell the truth about where we find ourselves right now in this time. Put all of these things together, and it's fair to say that these are insane times we are living in. There is a kind of madness in the air. And surely that's how Shifra and Puha felt living in Pharaoh's Egypt. You know, Exodus, it began by telling us that the Egyptians had forgotten their history. They, they didn't remember Joseph and how Joseph had helped save all their ancestors from starvation. They didn't care about who Joseph's descendants were. All those Hebrew people, they looked at them and they didn't see gift or blessing. Instead, they saw threat. And so Shifra and Puha, they were living in this time when Hebrew bodies were found floating in the Nile River and Hebrew children were locked up in chains. You see, the, the Israelites had become slaves serving this unquenchable thirst of Egyptian materialism. In fact, the Israelites, if you think about it, they're really treated with the same kind of utilitarian servanthood that most immigrants in any country in our world find themselves treated with. Their only value in that place, their only claim to life or purpose in a foreign land was to serve the desires and the well-being of the dominant culture. Otherwise, if they weren't going to do that, then they should go back where they came from, as the quip goes. So the Hebrews and their children, they are forced to build Egyptian cities and they're forced to grow Egyptian crops and they're forced to work to create Egyptian wealth and ease. The challenges that the Hebrews face was quite enormous actually. And of course that was, that was all before Pharaoh became even more paranoid and the Egyptians became ruthless and made their lives bitter, as the way that the scriptures put it. And every aspect of their lives became harder and every Hebrew family struggled more and not to overwhelm you, but then came all the deaths. Pharaoh became like a plague on the Hebrew communities. And so the most powerful person in the world at that time, then orders these two powerless women, Shifra and Puha, to do the unimaginable. These two women, they were nobodies, remember? They're just two Hebrew midwives. But they are given an order. Do not let the Hebrew baby boys take their first breath. Now everyone knows you cannot stand up to Pharaoh no matter how awful he is or how crazy he sounds. You simply do not get to argue with Pharaoh. So I don't think we can quite imagine the level of stress that these two women were under, having to make these life-altering decisions for these families. The pressure they felt 
was immense. Because if they didn't do what they were asked to do, it would be their families on the line. It was enough pressure to almost push them off the edge. And they, like us, couldn't change the decisions of the powerful. They were living in an insane world. There was a kind of madness in the air. In fact, the only thing that Shifra and Puha could do was to decide their own actions in the midst of the madness. They had to decide what they were going to do or not do with their own little bit of power they had what they were going to do or not do with their particular life in that particular time and place. They couldn't change all of Egypt. They couldn't make all of Egypt a beautiful place welcoming everyone. The only thing they could do is decide what actions they would take and what actions they would not take while living in Egypt. It kind of reminds me of that scene in The Lord of the Rings where Frodo has been entrusted with destroying this incredibly powerful ring that could destroy them all, but Frodo is the one that has to go and destroy it. But it comes at this profound cost to him and suffering for so many people around him. So in the midst of this deep grief that Frodo has about what's going on in his world, and in the midst of the suffering that he's already enduring and the pain that he is carrying, And while he's facing what seems like an unsurmountable task before him, Frodo says to his wise friend Gandalf, I wish this ring had never come to me. And that's when Gandalf speaks these potent words. So do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. All that Shifra and Puha can decide, all that you and I can decide, is what to do with this time given us. Margaret Wheatley says that in times like ours, when the biggest problems of our world are not being solved and and we feel powerless in the midst of an insane world, the one thing we can decide to do is to create an island of sanity. That is, to use whatever influence we have in our own small pocket of this world and to remember what is true and what is not true and to choose to live from our deepest values, and by doing so, create these islands, these pockets of sanity in the midst of all of that madness. And it seems to me that this is what Shifra and Puha did. In the face of unspeakable terror and fear and pressure, they remembered what was true and what was not true. They remembered that there is something or someone deeper at work in this world than the madness around them. Someone more powerful and lasting than the pandemics of Pharaoh. And they remembered who they were, Shifra and Pua, and who they wanted to be. And so in the midst of the madness of Egypt, they remembered 
that they had made a choice long ago to be agents of life, not of death. To be people creating new beginnings, not endings. To be people embodying the very spirit of love and hope in their work, not the spirit of fear and death. And so they chose to defy Pharaoh. Now, their choice came at great risk, and it certainly did not save every child, and it did not change all the madness of Egypt. But in their own small way, they carved out, and quiet little homes scattered here and there, they carved out these spaces of joy and beauty, and they reclaimed goodness in the midst of that madness. And because of that, all these years later, more than three millennia later, we don't remember the name of Pharaoh, of this particular Pharaoh. He's been long forgotten, but we know the names of these midwives. I mean, Shifra and Puha, they were nobodies in their time, but because they carved out these islands of sanity, they had the courage to do what seemed impossible in their own little sphere, because of that, they have not been forgotten. Shifra and Puha's names have been etched into the pages of our scriptures for all time. So as, as we try to navigate this particular moment in our particular lives, and all that is before us, Let's remember Shifra and Puha and follow their lead. Remember what is true and what is not true. Remember who you are and who you have committed to be and what you've committed to do with your life. But above all, remember whose you are. Remember that the God who created you in love is with you now, that you are not alone and you are not powerless. You still can create these islands of sanity by what you choose to do and not do. You have the power to carve out moments of joy and spaces of beauty and pockets of grace and kindness and life. And, and no, maybe you can't fix all the problems of this world, and you can't save everyone. But these little pockets is actually all that you're being asked to do. You don't have to fix it all. All that's being asked of you is to create pockets of goodness and joy. And that is what will be seen and known by the one who matters most. And like Shifra and Puha, when we do that, we will be remembered in the very heart of God. And one day we will hear those words our souls long to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Just as you carved out pockets of goodness in your world, I have carved out space for you. So welcome into the joy of your master. That is our hope. Let's pray together. Oh God, help us to remember 
our deepest truths in this very difficult time. Grant us grounding and integrity, courage and honesty. And whether we're working at home or, at, or in the marketplace, whether we're a teenager or a parent or a grandparent, whether we're single or married, retired or employed, grant us the courage to choose to act in our corner of the world and carve out islands of your goodness. Through Christ we pray. Amen.